episode of the PA High School Football Report podcast. My name is Jana Benzbitter, and I'm alongside my colleague, Eric Epler, also known as Ep, uh, who firmly doesn't believe that you can pop popcorn on the stovetop in three and a half minutes, just as quick as a microwave. So Don't believe it. Up? Yeah, nope. what's popping up? It happens. <laughs> it's bogus. It, it, absolutely bogus. I sent you pictures. I'm going to record the next time that I pop mine on the stovetop. It's three and a half minutes, just as fast as a microwave. All right. You say so. I don't know. Oh, gosh. The disbelief. Uh, we have another great guest with us this week, and we'll be talking to uh, Bishop Devitt head coach Jeff Wechter in about 10 minutes, talking about Epps Sunday night dance moves alongside a coach. And Billy, Woo! before we get to the interview, let's take a quick question of the week. Uh, what's in the mailbag? Yeah, mailbag this week, Jana. This is a this is a key one. This one pops up every uh, couple of years nice. uh, after the um, the championship weekend at the Concrete Palace, aka Hershey Park Stadium. Uh, I get a question: Will the PIAA championships ever move out of Hershey? Um, this is a how should I put this? There, there's a very passionate amount of people who suggest that this should happen. Uh, I want to point out that this year's championships will be the 24th consecutive time uh, they will pass out the hardware at Hershey Park Stadium. Uh, wow. Like I said, it, it, there's been there's been countless conversations about the possibility of shuffling the finals around to at least somewhere in the three big regions of the state. Obviously, the Philadelphia area being the far right, Pittsburgh area being the far left, and of course, right smack uh, close to the middle where we sit in the Harrisburg area. As you know. Jan, the PIAA sort of solicits bids for these championships, and they sign four-year contracts, which is which is smart on their end uh, because you lock in a better lease rate, obviously, and it prevents the organization from constantly dealing with these contracts and agreements. And remember, PIAA has 20-plus sports to process in, uh, in getting these championships together. So, so the longer the contract, the more sane they can be. So obviously, Hershey has a prime location, and – Beyond anything else, it, they're in the event business. Um, so if you need ushers, concession people, maintenance people, Hershey has folks to handle everything when it comes to putting on events. Obviously, a couple of years ago, outrolled three cats on skid loaders to clear the field of several inches of snow that happened that fell between finals. So oh, wow. that, that, that doesn't happen quickly um, or efficiently uh, at college venues that have already sort of been winterized uh, after their seasons have done, you know, in December. So, so that's, that's one point to point out. There's, there's also another important note here that during the last round of bids to host the PIAA football championships, do you know how many bids the PIAA received? Am I to guess? Take a while, guys. Oh, in this state? Oh my, yes. I don't know. Is it a big number? No. One. What? One. Oh. Hershey. Oh. One bid. So are there other options out there? Maybe in a few years, but right now, no. That so, says a lot. Yeah, exactly. So much, you know, I would like to see the football finals possibly played at a Heinz field in Pittsburgh or a Franklin field or Lincoln financial field in Philly every two years or so. I think it's good for the health of high school football in Pennsylvania that you get to move around a little bit and these other areas don't have to travel year in and year out. I mean, if you're from cathedral prep in Erie and you make the championship a few years in a row, you're traveling four and a half hours to get to Hershey. So now in the grand scheme, the kids don't matter. The 
kids don't care where the things are played or how long the trip is. But I think it would be nice for the overall, I'm saying the overall aesthetics of of playing a championships. I think you should have these places move, especially after 24 seasons at the same venue. Um, The positive points for, for Hershey, we sort of weighed out the hot chocolates always on point, which is a big deal. Nice for, for sports writers in December, so that's a good thing. So Agreed. I think we'll have to we'll have to uh, we'll have to accept the trade off for a little while longer. Um, and I know too recently, Cumber Valley played State College in the Beaver State Classic up at Beaver Stadium at Penn State uh, two years ago. And I know Penn State coach James Franklin was 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 very out there saying mentioning that he'd love to see the PIAA finals move to Beaver Stadium. Uh, we call that in the business coach speak. Um, to kind of, you know, to, you know, to kind of uh, embrace the fans and embrace the high school thing. And it's also obviously a great recruiting tool for Penn State, but don't exactly. hold your breath on, don't hold your breath on that happening uh, anytime soon. So uh, again, we'll, we'll be accepting of the concrete palace. Uh, it is a comfortable place for the PIAA to host these championships. And right now it is the only place for the PIAA to host these championships. Whether that changes in the near future, we'll see. That's interesting. I honestly, I had no clue that that would be your response. And, you know, congratulations to Hershey. They're doing something right or else 24 years, they wouldn't be having it there. Yeah. The the thing about Hershey is, again, you know, Hershey Park Stadium exists now exclusively to get battered and bruised more and more by concerts. That's that's essentially why it it still exists. It's a concert venue. It's it no is. longer really a football or a soccer venue. It just happens to have the artificial turf and it's, they could play there. So, you know, the, the knock on Hershey is the fact that the, the, you know, the, the locker rooms are horrendous. They're tight. They're small. They're damp. They're just horrendous to deal with. So it's outdated there. It is so outdated. Yeah. And they don't, and I can see as a business sense, you not throwing a lot of a ton of money into the venue every year because you're just going to get battered and bruised the following right. year during concerts. So sure. I get I get all that. And it has it is a destination for the Whitfield champs coming out of Pittsburgh and it is for Philly and things like that. But, you know, it would be a lot. You don't get a lot of travel from from teams from Philly. So you don't get a lot of gate. So I think every once in a while, if it was in the Philadelphia area or in the Pittsburgh area, um, you know, it would be a nice change of pace. I don't see that happening anytime soon, though. Yeah, that's interesting. That's one to ponder and maybe give some food for thought to some venues that possibly in the future could hold it, hold uh, the competitions there. Just so, think, all right. just think yeah. Jana, too, of all the nice yeah. college venues that we have here in Pennsylvania. Beautiful venues. Between yeah. Bucknell and Robert Morris, even on the far west, and you've got Lafayette and Lehigh and t- dozens of places in between. But again, their seasons, their college seasons are wrapping up in mid-November, and they're shutting down their stadiums. They're they're winterizing their stadiums, and you know, you've got to get concession people in there. You've got to get maintenance. You've got to get security. So it's like a three-week window where they're closed down, and now, you, now you're asking these venues to bring everybody back. And, yeah. and not to mention the cost would be more significant That's than likely. So, yeah. yeah, it's just, you know, those sort of things just hinder – hinder anybody else sort of maybe stealing it away from Hershey. 
again, it's food for thought. It's something to ponder. And I'm sure, like you said, 24 years, <laughs> the thought has been out there. Yeah, and no one's yeah. presented it. Uh, that's, you know, you're heading toward the third decade of at the same location. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That has been battered and bruised. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's interesting. That great question. Thanks for that question. So, all right. We'll keep turning our cars toward Hershey when December rolls around. Um, So up next is our interview with coach Bishop McDevitt coach, Jeff Wechter, who started out a big week in Philadelphia. He reminisces with us about Sean Shady McCoy's time as a crusader. Um, And I think one thing I just want to point out, uh, I find interesting is that when we talk about recruiting, how much the recruiting process has changed and, and what he went through in that with Shady McCoy. So here we go. Joining us on the PA High School Football Report podcast is Bishop McDevitt head coach Jeff Wechter. He's been behind the wheel for 24 seasons prior to becoming the Crusaders coach. He was a business manager and football coach at Tiny Lebanon Catholic High School. He took what he learned from his formative years and turned it into powerful knowledge that he cultivated, eventually cultivating a slate of NFL players. We know this is a big week week for you, coach. So thanks for finding time to hang out with us. Hey, anytime. All right, coach, let's get into it real quick. Obviously, big one on tap this week. Cedar Cliff's on the docket. They are also 5-1. and one. You guys are top to tie, tied the um, Keystone Division. What are a couple things that you guys really need to do well on Friday uh, to kind of keep the train moving? You know, we have to play good assignment football. Um, you know, stop their power on in the running game. And then, you know, we have to find out where 29 and 14 are at all times. Mm-hmm. You know, especially, you know, Trenton Smith, number 14, they like to move him around. Uh, those two can take it to the house anytime. Uh, on offense, you know, they, they do blitz us a lot and we, you know, can't make mistakes there. And, you know, we just have to play the way we've been playing uh, for the last couple of weeks. And, you know, and, and we know um, Cedar Cliff always plays us tough. And, you know, the only concern I've got really going in is, you know, we know it's going to be a fourth four quarter game. And it's been a long time since the first game of the season that we played four quarters. And, you know, I'm not sure, you know, how good a shape we are. I'm hoping we don't wear down in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That's one of the things too. I was, you know, obviously I think your defense has probably been overshadowed by all the fireworks on offense that you guys have, but um, has the defense surprised you at all at how well they've been performing? And like you said, the, the, the competition is going to get better here and it's obviously going to get better quick here on Friday. Um, but that first game against LaSalle, who obviously is the number one team in class six, a that seemed to do your defense really, really well. Um, how has that progression been for the D? Um, really has helped our whole team. And that's why we won the play on, you know, I'll go back to 2010, you know, the first year we made the state finals is I always felt when we played those Western finals, we weren't used to the physical play by some of the Western PA teams. And, you know, we wanted to go physical against them and, and our defense did really well, you know, considering, you know, our two starting tackles were defensive tackles were out, mm-hmm. um, you know, Camille Foster was out of corner and Mario Easterly played offense, but he was coming off a hamstring injury. So he didn't play any defense. Um, you know, we knew coming into the year, we would be pretty good defensively. Um, you know, we returned a lot of starters on defense, uh, all but our two defensive ends from last year. So really nine starters on defense. Um, 
we go deep in the secondary. I mean, we have good depth in our secondary. Uh, our linebackers have been playing really well, especially Ryan Russo. And our defensive line, I mean, again, it's a bolster. Um, you know, Riley Robel started for two years for us at middle linebacker, and he grew into being a defensive lineman. So that has helped also. Uh, but getting back to, you know, what you originally said, it, it, you know, people won't believe this, but our offensive line actually played very physical against LaSalle. It's just we made some mistakes. Um, and it's always, take, you know, if you've been around long enough for my teams, it, it seems to take a while for our offensive line to gel. And basically what was happening is on our double teams, um, the guy wasn't one of our guy offensive linemen, and it, it, they took turns of doing it. It wasn't just one guy. Yeah. wasn't coming off on the backside linebacker shooting on the double teams. And he was, you know, hitting the plays from behind. If not, we had some things there. But, you know, I, you know, I like a lot of people when I came out of that game thinking our offensive line didn't pro real well, and then I put the film up. Like, I was really happy with what, how physical we were with them. You know, we just didn't play smart. Yeah. Yeah, um, Coach, so we're going to pivot a little bit. You're talking, reflecting on individual players, their growth and everything. You've had one special player. You got to celebrate him on Sunday night in Philly. You were present for Shady McCoy's retirement party. So how does his retirement from playing make you feel? You know, it's bittersweet. You know, he and I have talked about it last summer that, you know, he, he wasn't even last summer. He wasn't sure he was going to play. He said it needs to be the right opportunity. And it came up with Tampa Bay. Um, you know, he was with here at McDevitt for his youth camp in July. And I know a few call teams called him. Um, and again, he said it had to be the right thing too. He didn't think we're going to be playoff teams. The other one would have been out in the West coast. And, you know, I'm really proud of the man he's become, you know, he's a great father and, you know, he's living down in Miami. His son lives down in Miami. He just didn't want to be that far away from his son. So um, I wasn't shocked. Um, it's bittersweet for me. I'm happy for him. You know, he came out of his career without any major injuries, um, which not every running back in the NFL can say, uh, but it's bittersweet because, you know, I first hit, LaShawn's brother, LaRon, who played in the NFL, um, was about 10, seven, nine or 10 years older. So I've known, you know, Shady since he's been eight years old. And he used to always say, Coach, you got to come see me play when he was in the midgets. So I watched him there. You know, I got to see all his runs in high school, not even in, I mean, people don't realize he was a great practice player. I just told our team that the other day. He made great runs in practice and then he made great runs. And then I saw most of his pick games, some in person. And then, you know, I saw all his games in the NFL. So, you know, it's bittersweet because I'm, I, I've told him this, you know, when we talked Monday, last Monday, and he told me he's going to retire. I'm like, I'm going to miss watching you play. Oh. Yeah. Coach, I wanted to just piggyback on that. Um, I, I checked the numbers. I looked up this and, and seven of the nine uh, guys from McDevitt, who played prominently at McDevitt uh, that made the NFL, you have coached, which is pretty impressive. And that includes Aaron Barry, uh, Jamie Thomas, obviously Noah Spence. Uh, you mentioned LaRon and Shady on uh, a couple more. I think Cameron Artis Payne, you got a chance to coach. For us, he played for um, you there at McDevitt. He's uh, he's still playing in, in Canada. He's in the Bryce, CFL. Bryce, Bryce Hall starting quarterback. For Bryce the Hall is looking like an all-pro. Exactly. <laughs> for the Jets in, in the defensive backfield. So um, so you've coached some really obviously engaging guys. Referring to Shady, when did you – you mentioned about 
watching him as sort of an eight-year-old to start. When did you know that this, I mean, you've been around long enough to know now, but back then, uh, when did you know that this guy was going to be this special? Um, I didn't know he was this special, but, you know, again, going back and going to his midget games, he was eight years old playing up against 11 year olds and just dominating. So, you know, it was funny. And and he probably remembers this talk, you know, he got down a little bit as a freshman and we were in the weight room and we were actually out sitting on the steps out front, you know, 2200 market street. You know, you remember where the oh, yeah. was and we we're out sitting on the steps and we we're having a long talk. And, you know, he thought he was going to be the next Allen Iverson. <laughs> and I started, I'm like, listen, you're a good basketball player, but you're special as a running back. I said, if you continue to work, you're going to be, you have a chance to definitely be division one, maybe go on on Sundays. And then by the time he was a sophomore, you know, you knew he was going to make the NFL. And then, um, you know, as as a junior, I mean, he just had an unbelievable year, yeah. 2,800 yards. And, you know, I know I asked our defense coordinator, who you knew very well, who coached UEP, uh, um, Pat Barry. I said, let me ask you, where does he compare to, to Ricky? And Pat said, as a junior, he's better than Ricky was as a senior, mm. and which said a lot because, you know, we both know yes. that Ricky was a great player. So, uh, but I, I knew pretty early on, you know, again, as an eight-year-old, I knew he was special. You know, then, you know, I'm not in the business of predicting eight-year-olds making the NFL. Right, but, right. you know, <laughs> as a freshman and sophomore, you could see it really heading that way. Yeah. I, I, we mentioned about Sunday night, Coach. Um, I was lucky enough to be there as well. I can confirm that Jeff Wechter, head coach Bishop McDevitt, does have a few dance moves. You got yeah. one or two go-tos, you know, they're not bad. Um, but being a part of that, what was that like for you? I mean, it, it was just awesome experience. Um, you know, the McCoys have always been great. You know, not only LaShawn and, and Laurent, Laurent, but, you know, his parent, their parents, um, Ron and Daphne. And, you know, Daphne's actually the one that sent the invitation first, you know, and, and she said, I want your whole family there because, you know, there was a time when, when Shady was – um, you know, not quite doing his homework and the parents were working swing shift. And so I asked Daphne, I'm like, do you mind if I bring him home and I'll tutor him? But, you know, I live 30 miles away, so he got to stay overnight and I'll bring him up to school the next morning. Just, you know, having pack a change of clothes. And we did that, you know, quite a few times. And, and, you know, so, you know, Shady really got to get to know my family when my kids were young and to have them, there to experience that with us. You know, I had the opportunity, you know, when Jeremy Macklin came in, we talked is, you know, Shady, when he was with the Eagles, used to have that uh, celebrity softball game down at Lancaster and, and it was Eagles versus NFL. And, and uh, he talked me into playing a couple times and I got to play, you know, I got to know uh, Jeremy Macklin through that uh, Jason Avant. I mean, Jason, now one year after, believe it or not, I would, I was five for five. Oh, no way. But but twice, but twice, (laughs) Jason Avant was batting right behind me and twice on the bases he caught me at home plate. So, (laughs) no, but, you know, it was just a great experience. I'm just so happy for him and, and everybody got a chance to enjoy that. 
Coach, um, you know, I can't help but have like that little bit of a feminine vibe right now and saying all to a lot of things that you're saying. Like it's very unique, the relationship that you've had with him. You've obviously committed time on and off the field. Um, and then you also have this very special connection that he was your eventually your first recruit. So what was that she uh, the um, college recruiting process like with him, with Shady along your side, the two of you doing that together? How was that? Well, I had, I had a couple of Lebanon Catholic and a couple here before, but he was like the first big time recruit. I mean, it went crazy. Um, you know, back, back when he was a junior in high school, college head coaches were allowed to come out in the spring. They are not allowed to anymore. So, you know, I'm in, I'm teaching a business law class um, and, you know, first period in the morning and, Standing outside my door is Todd McNair, who is now the running back coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and um, Pete Carroll. You know, they were at USC at the time. And, of course, my kids knew who they were, my students, and they're looking out. And, you know, I remember that day because, um, you know, I, I think it was Tommy Mealy because uh, Sean Simmers, you know, who was taking pictures – for Penn Live and Patriot uh, with Ep down on Sunday night, Sean actually his whole senior year uh, unfortunately was cut short. You know they were doing a documentary on him, so Rod Frisco came over, and I had Pete Carroll in the office, <laughs> and you know we were talking, and I came out of the lot out of my office, which led into the old locker football locker room at McDevin. I walked out in the hallway. And we not only had Shady, we had four other kids in that three other kids that were in the rivals top 100. And we on that senior class, we had 10 kids go division one. And when I walked out, there's Rod Frisco waiting. But I had 11 division one college coaches lined up against the wall. Wow. You know, and I'm like, that's not intimidating at all. (laughs) You know, so it was it was it was very tiring, but it was a lot of fun also. And, you know, people don't understand, you know, first of all, Shady should have been in grade behind what he was in. Um, He had a a late summer birthday. So at the time, he was 16 years old and all this thrown on him. You know, Tom Lemming, recruiting service, put him as the number one player in the country. And, you know, some people thought he was a little – I thought he handled it really well for everything that was thrown at him at such a young age. Coach, I know there's going to be speculation uh, over the next, you know, four to five years about Shady's career. I mean, I think I know your answer to this, but what do you think about his chances for the Hall of Fame? I mean, I saw over the weekend uh, one of those like pro football focus or something like that um, does a metric and he's at like an 83 percent of getting in. And that is higher than all but seven running backs that are already in the NFL. I mean, you know, the guy that really I think is going to help his cause is, you know, Ruben Frank. Um, that's a Philadelphia sports writer because, he, as you know, he, he has stats, crazy stats. Yes. And he just has crazy stats. That Shady's done, done things that only two or three other NFL running backs have done. So, you know, I've told him, that, you know, sometime if, you know, if I make the – you know, we, we talked last summer, you know, if I, you know, fortunate enough to make the state coaches football hall of fame, you know, he's going to come here for that. And obviously, you know, when he's out in Canton, I'm going to be out there with him. Yeah, that would be a nice, that would be a good thing. 
So coach, thank you. Uh, we know that you have a big week. We know you're preparing for Cedar Cliff, um, but thanks for taking the time to hang out with us and joining us on the podcast. It's any time, any time is, is work. And anytime I get to hang out with Abbott and yourself is, is worth the pleasure. No more in the club. We're too old for that thing. <laughs> exactly. You're exactly right. All right, coach. All right. Thanks so much. Okay, thank thanks. you. Thanks again, Coach. We appreciate your time. And we'll find out how the Crusaders handle a tough Cedar Cliff side Friday night. Uh, you and I talked about this after the interview. Again, uh, you know, the re- recruiting process. You can talk more late, more about that than I can when it comes to the football side. But uh, how how has that changed? Have you seen in the past ten years or so? Uh, social media has just changed everything when it's come to be when it's come to recruiting. Again, Coach mentioned too about how he was you know teaching a class, and then Pete Carroll's peeking through the window, you know, during during the <laughs> recruitment of of. of of shady. So, yeah, I mean, it used to be, and even back in my day in the stone age, when we played football and leather helmets and we used to have coaches and we'd get little, little slips, a runner would come up to the, come up to the uh, teacher and he'd hand a slip and the teacher would go, okay, Eric, you need to go down to the, you know, down to the athletic director's office. And there would be coaches in there, uh, you know, throughout the day that would come and they would speak to you for 10 minutes and maybe give you a brochure or two about the college. And then that was it. And then occasionally you would, and then afterwards you would set off your, on your official visits and go from there. I mean, social media has, has made it so much easier to not only contact recruits, but just to kind of gain a a huge rapport with these guys and celebrate all of their, wins and and performances and uh you know it, it, they're just inundated and to build that relationship so when these guys get to campus and they've already spent a year and a half two years getting to know this head coaches and and the assistant coaches who are the primary recruiting guys so it's changed so so much i mean you know no one gets uh, you do get letters uh you do get official offer letters now <laughs> But I remember when we were um, surrounded by uh, just total chaos, shady kind of chaos, uh, with Noah Spence at Bishop McDevitt in 2010. And we had written it sort of an expose on, on Noah. And he had stacks and stacks of letters from colleges. Probably, I don't know, each stack was like nine inches tall and there were probably 30 of them. So, you know, it was all it was still and that wasn't that long ago. So it was still sort of a male driven, you know, process. Now it is all done on social media. Our pace has picked up a lot. Yeah. yeah, And and it's it's that's the thing. It's it's so much more fast and furious with these guys um, that it can be just, you know, if, if getting letters in the mail was overwhelming for, for guys like Shady and Noah, you know, 10, 11, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, imagine what it's like now with, with everybody uh, on social media, just tagging you. And you, I mean, you can, you can go down the rabbit's hole very, very quickly for these guys. So it's tough to kind of stay focused though. That's usually a question we ask some of that with some of the bigger recruits, you know, how are you sort of keeping it, keeping it on the tracks, you know, and, and, and obviously doing your job on the football field on Friday nights. And it it can be difficult. I, I mean, I don't envy these guys in that respect. It's, it's tough. It's difficult. Yeah, like back in the day when you know you were being watched, you didn't have you had those 
boundaries, so to speak, that yes. people didn't know your every second move, thought, video recording, every play, and you know, all of that is recorded and it's instant. I was talking to uh, a field hockey player actually at Boiling Springs the other day who chose the Ohio State University to play field hockey. And uh, we were discussing that relationship building and how it's different now that before you even get there, you've already created a bond. You forged yeah. a bond with your coaches and your teammates because you can connect them, connect with them at a faster pace versus how, you know, when I was recruited 20 years ago. So like that, that whole thing is different now. Um, and then just watching, you know, a coach watching Shady's coach go with him through the entire process from beginning to, and, uh, you know, that interview, we really appreciate that. And that he discussed a little uh, bit about the recruiting process. Cause that's something that weighs heavily on our athletes' minds. They think absolutely. about it. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. Uh, games locally football around the state here. What's going on? Ah, big one locally. There's a couple big ones, but the one I'm really, really, really interested in is CD East at Harrisburg. This is Saturday, one o'clock at Severance Field. Uh, both teams are five and zero. CD East three and zero in the Commonwealth. Harrisburg two and zero. Everybody's been waiting for this one. Um, depending on what Central Dolphin does, uh, opposite Carlisle, the winner here will likely take over the top spot in division. And this is really one of those games that uh, both teams are just team, you know, brimming with confidence. But this is one of those games you've come out on the positive side here um, can really catapult you to a big, big, deep postseason run. And both of these teams are capable uh, of of winning this game. So this will just I mean, I'm predicting this should be one of the most physical games of the seat of the regular season. Um, and again, being at Saturday at Severance Field just adds a little bit more atmosphere to this one. So I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Statewide. Yep. Why, Jana, there's a, this is a great, it's a great schedule as, as bad as last week's schedule was uh, this week is really, really strong. Uh, some small, some small uh, school football first uh, out in district five, Winber at Berlin brothers Valley. Both teams are six and zero in this one. This is Friday night, seven o'clock Snyder's athletic field. Both of these guys are really our playmakers here in class two a see how that one goes back to district 11, the Allentown area. Uh, 3A, just a howitzer of a game. North Schuylkill, 5-0 at Notre Dame Green Pond, 5-0. This is Friday, 7 o'clock. This is number one, North Schuylkill in 3A against number four. And this could be, uh, I should say, kind of trigger a shift uh, in the rankings, depending on if Notre Dame can pull off what would be only considered a slight upset. These teams are that are that close. Uh, the other big one, Jana, Pittsburgh Central Catholic plays out Mount Lebanon. Um, number two and number six in my six egg rankings. Uh, this week, Mount Levin coming off a huge win against North Allegheny and Pittsburgh Central Catholic really clicking offensively, uh, here. So, this is going to be one of those throwdowns, too, where it's it's going to be very, very physical Friday night, seven to thir- seven thirty. Um, so we'll see how that one ends up. Good stuff, yeah. Always fun to hear about how these guys are doing. Uh, and here we are, week six. So stay healthy, stay uh, spry, and hopefully we'll see some sunshine this weekend. Enjoy it. See you next time. See ya.